0: It's a zoo of chemicals and particles up in the atmosphere, from all the things that we humans purposely burn, such as fossil fuels, wood, trash, and biomass, including cow dung, and from all the things that burn, say, in wildfires. Then there are also particles that get blasted out by volcanoes, or those that are swept up into the atmosphere by wind or storms or evaporation. And don't forget the particles coming into our atmosphere from above from space overall there's far too much going on for any one scientist or research group to study by themselves never mind studying all the possible effects from those particles and chemicals on the climate or the planet or the effects directly on our health
1: in terms of how much it shortens your life so the average life expectancy is expected to be lowered by two years because of uh, air pollution. So it's worse than cigarette smoke.
0: On this episode of the American Scientist podcast, a visit to an atmospheric sciences lab and the multidisciplinary research going on there. In this lab, they're studying both the chemical composition and optical properties from burning biomass fuels. I'm Robert Frederick. Meet Solomon Billalingh a chemical physicist who, then President Obama, recognized with the Presidential Award for Excellence in Science, Mathematics, and Engineering Mentoring.
1: My students tell me I'm extremely impatient, and I push students to the limits. So I, I tell my students, it's not my job to tell you how far you can go. You can decide how far you want to go, but my job is to push you to the maximum.
0: We're at his lab on the campus of North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro.
1: The aerosol studies.
0: The aerosols Billowing and his student study are those found in different cities, and particularly where people regularly use biomass as fuel.
1: This is more applied. Students can see the application of physics, chemistry, computer programming, all electronics, applied in a, prog- in a program that allows them to do research that has social implications or societal impact.
0: And that's a change from the basic research building had been doing.
1: My original training is laser spectroscopy. So I used laser spectroscopy to study chemical reactions of small molecules. So it's more fundamental science for a number of years. So the students that come to my lab would always ask me, where do we use this? Or what's the application of this? And I often don't have answers because these are basic science. And I can't tell what the long-term impact of those measurements are. But I can tell you, I can tell you they, they help develop more effective lasers. They help us understand astrophysical pro- phenomena. That's how I try to explain it. But uh, more and more young people are interested in doing science that is of societal benefit.
0: Or more immediate societal benefit, Peleling later clarifies. So describe to me what we're looking at.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to get started with, this is called a tube furnace.
0: Tube furnace, and what's that sound?
1: We have a new air generator. So we clean up all the air that comes into the chamber. So all the methane NOx coming out from outside is actually cleaned out by this. So we have clean air coming into the furnace so we can control the temperature and the gas flow to have different types of burnings. There's what's called smoldering fire or flaming, burning and so on because the particles that are produced when there is smoldering or flaming are different and they have different properties and they absorb light at different frequencies. So the first step is to determine what temperature is best for smoldering and what for uh, uh, flaming because we can collect the samples on a filter and we can look at the color. Brown color corresponds to smoldering. Black carbon comes in the flaming stage. We can also control the flow of oxygen and air in general. So we can have oxygen-rich burning or oxygen-deprived burning. And so the particles that, the, the smoke that's produced here is inserted into this chamber.
0: It's the size of a small room that you can see into but is otherwise isolated from the rest of the lab.
1: This is a nine cubic meter smoke chamber where the particles are allowed to age. First we let it in. We have a fan in one corner. This is a switch for the fan so that we have enough mixing. Once it's mixed, we can do a number of things. We can just allow the particles to age photochemically by letting the light, UV light act as a catalyst so in this case we have
0: building turns on some ultraviolet lights so somebody could get a a serious suntan in there
1: yeah so we use the foils to reflect the lights more fully so we have those two on both sides so we can use one side or both sides depending on the amount of intensity we need so we keep the particles for up to a day with the lights on and then we try to measure their optical properties we collect filter samples and look at the chemical properties. We can also edge them in the dark, so we don't put anything, just leave it in there. The third condition would be to inject volatile organic compounds that are common in very highly polluted environments like big mega cities. And we we have the inventory of chemical inventory of those cities that we can use to inject an amount which is equivalent to what The percentage of the chemical in the air in those cities are.
0: What are some of the examples of those chemicals? Uh,
1: Like methane, uh, these are, I mean, there are hundreds of different chemicals that are emitted. So the main ones are nitrogen dioxide, methane, uh, any NOx compounds, all those are emitted from diesel emissions and sulfur dioxide from power plant emissions. So we have all those chemicals that we measure and inject in an amount which is equivalent to what the city looks like. Or we can look at a rural environment and measure a clean air environment. So by changing those, the chemical change in the particles can also cause their absorbing and scattering properties. That's what we're trying to look at. So basically the, the whole idea is to study the effect of aging on biomass particles on how they reflect or absorb uh, solar radiation.
0: And that immediate societal benefit? It's in advising policymakers.
1: Similar work has been and is going on everywhere. There are different groups with similar chambers in Europe, in China, in Korea. And there are different kinds of uh, research activities that are being done. It's being reported at a very fast rate, faster than uh, the last, I mean, it's gr- exponentially growing publication is coming out on the impacts of emissions in different parts of the world. But one has to synthesize this knowledge and bring it to the policymakers in a way they can comprehend and act on.
0: Policymakers are clearly interested because they're funding it. Some of Bilaling's funding comes from the National Science Foundation. But Bilaling has been working to extend his collaborations further into the realm of biology looking at how the smoke affects cultured lung cells. That opens up funding opportunities with the National Institutes of Health, or NIH.
1: You know, if it's a research done by NIH, it affects your life, and every politician wants to live forever, probably. So they'll do anything to fund those programs. (laughs) But this is not, you you don't see people dying all of a sudden. It's not an epidemic, it's not a national emergency, it's a slow killer.
0: It's also slow, painstaking research.
1: On this side there are a couple of instruments that you may want to look at. These are all, we measure the amount of carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide that comes during burning. Mm-hmm. That gives us an idea of the combust- the modified combustion efficiency of the sample. Because if, if it's not well burned, we have more carbon monoxide. And then we have ozone analyzer and nitrogen NOx analyzer. This is a, a, a differential mobility analyzer that dif- divides or classifies the particles by size. And
0: There's also further analysis to measure how much light, and at what wavelengths, the different particles absorb or reflect it. There are methods to chemically characterize the particles, including sending samples over to other labs for analysis. And, Billingley says, it's important to keep in mind that every piece of equipment can be a potential source of error.
1: We spend a whole year, actually, trying to uh, calculate all the sources of error in this instrument.
0: And that's just one instrument.
1: So what we measure using that device has to match what we measure using this device. Any deviation from that is an error that has to be accounted for.
0: And a new device is on the way, too.
1: Which is about $50,000 piece. So we're expecting it any time. So that would help minimize the error sources.
0: But really, billing says, errors aren't the problem.
1: It's, it's not lack of understanding. It's the lack of the willpower to act to reverse situations. So,
0: so the science is... Pretty well settled, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. It's just refining and making more refined measurements. I think we have to be shocked, in a way, to act, <laughs> unfortunately. But this, these things are not shocking in the sense that they don't cause days in a shock at a shocking scale. But if translated in terms of life expectancy, that becomes alarming in terms of how much it shortens your life. So the average life expectancy is expected to be lowered by two years because of uh, air pollution so it's worse than cigarette smoke according to the report
0: that report came out in fall 2018 with researchers looking at overall average life expectancy around the world but it matters where you live as to how dirty the air is so more recently in july 2019 Researchers reported that on average, Americans' life expectancy is down six to eight weeks because of particulate matter air pollution.
1: It's a trade-off, you know. When you, when you think of good air quality, you are giving up certain economic benefits. So are people willing to give up some of the comforts in favor of a good air quality?
0: Maybe a hundred years from now, could you imagine a future weather report in which someone says particle emissions today are really bad? Today's going to cost you four hours of your life by just breathing outside today.
1: It's possible. <laughs> it's possible because all the sensors will be on probably on your cell phone to see the real time weather and climate and environmental conditions. So anything is possible.
0: <laughs> Solomon Billening, thank you very much. Thank you. Solomon Billing is a chemical physicist at North Carolina A&T University. You can read an accompanying blog post to this podcast with pictures and links to references at americanscientist.org. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thanks for joining us.